Good morning. It's good to be with you here. Um, you see me about every time we have presbytery, I guess, because Eric and I do the switch. I don't know if he told you we do that so we don't, so that we're freed up to do business at presbytery and not write a new sermon. But there is the dirty secret. Um, but uh, just because it's not a new sermon doesn't mean it's not new for you. So. Um, and, and speaking of Presbytery, I was asked by um, one of the members here, did I have a good time? And I can say honestly, yes, that this Presbytery in particular was one of the more spiritually enriching and engaging times, especially in prayer. And if nothing else, I realized the, the dire need that I have personally to be praying for my congregation, but also recognizing, especially in light of other things that happen in Presbytery, of the need that I have of my people to pray for me. And so really, uh, if, if you get nothing else from my presence here, um, hear the Lord speaking through me, through me to you today, pray for Eric. Um, and I'm not saying that because I spent 10 hours in a car with him over the weekend and I've got great concerns. Eric's a good man. He's a godly man. Um, but pray for your pastor. Uh, there is uh, you know, I just, I just have really felt the, the realization that just as we assume whenever we plant a church or do any kind of ministry, our starting assumption, and really this should be your starting assumption in life too, is that God is at work. Yes and amen, God's at work. But the devil is at work too. And we see that in the lives of ministers as well as in the church. So please do be praying for Eric. All right. If you want to turn your attention to... Second um, Corinthians 5, you can either turn in your Bible or you can um, look at your order of worship. Uh, I'm going to get to reading that in just a minute. But um, I wanted to start by praying and asking for God's help, and then we will just uh, jump into our sermon. Heavenly Father, would you now bless us, help us to see and receive what you have for us this morning from your scriptures. We come with different pasts, backgrounds, even agendas this morning, and I pray that by your spirit those would be put on the shelf or redirected toward your godly purposes for us uh, as a congregation and as individuals. Help me to stand here and proclaim your word because I do it not on the foundation of my righteousness or accomplishment or gifts, but rather because you have called me. And Jesus, you are a firm foundation. So let us all hear you this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In 1974, Hiru Onada was still fighting World War II. Now, even though World War II had ended almost 30 years earlier in 1945, Hiru had been living in the Philippine Islands, he was a Japanese soldier, and he was still at war. He was still battling. He hadn't gotten the word, or at least he didn't believe the word, uh, the word that things had changed. Uh, in fact, in October of 1945, about three months after the war had ended, there were leaflets that were dropped from airplanes uh, by the Filipinos that were there. Uh, and, and they dropped these leaflets because Hiru and some of his people were still like running around with guns and they were engaging in fights with police and they were killing cattle. And so they were just kind of, you know, causing mayhem on the island. But Hiru and these people received the leaflets and they said that and they read, oh, the war is over. But they thought, ah, 
this is just propaganda from the Allies. And so they didn't believe it. And so they kept on fighting. Seven years later, in 1952, Hiru's family sent pictures and sent letters and said, Hiru, come down from the mountains. The war is over. But what did Hiru conclude? This is very sophisticated Allied propaganda. And he kept the fight up and he kept living in the hills. It wasn't until 1974 and there was basically a, a Japanese hippie uh, was on a quest and he had said that he was on a quest to find Lieutenant Onada, a panda, and the abominable snowman in that order. Now I don't know how he did on those other two things, but he found Lieutenant Onada and he convinced him finally, after he had befriended him, that the war was indeed over. So 30 years after the war had ended, Lieutenant Onada came home and was done fighting the war. Now, I tell you that illustration because it sets the table for where we are going this morning. Because we often, even as Christians, can be like that Japanese soldier. A great transformation, a great change has happened. A declaration has happened in our life from God. And yet, we are living like an old situation is still in place. Like we are still the same old person that we were. And so we're going to look at a passage this morning that reminds us of the implication of the gospel. Reminds us that because the resurrection is true, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our lives and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are different. We are new. And that opens up a world of possibilities for us as we aspire to follow God, to love Him, and to love our neighbor. So let's turn our attention to the reading of God's Word and then we will continue on as we reflect together on this portion of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This ends the reading of God's word, and this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. All right. Well, Paul, who is the author of this letter, wants his congregation in Corinth to believe that they are different, that they are changed, that they are free because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And that's what God wants us to believe this morning as well. And the way that Paul begins by making his argument is he starts by explaining what? The very person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. What does he say? We regard no one according to the flesh. We used to regard Jesus this way, 
but no longer, all right? So you see how Paul is thinking. You see his logic, his theological logic. Jesus is not according to the flesh. Therefore, we, those who are in Christ, are no longer considered according to the flesh either. Now, here's the question. What does it mean when Paul says, according to the flesh? Well, I'll tell you what he's not saying, at least one of the things he's not saying. Paul is not saying when he uses this term, according to the flesh, well... We used to think of Jesus as human, right? Just common, fleshly, human, but no more. And the same goes for us. He's not saying Jesus is some kind of ramped up, super spiritual, high-powered ghost. He's saying something completely different. Rather, whenever he uses this phrase, according to the flesh, he's saying to regard Jesus according to the flesh is to regard uh, Jesus according to the values the order, the way of thinking of a fallen world. To regard Jesus according to the flesh, then, is to regard him something like this. Jesus was a good guy. Jesus was a very good teacher. Jesus, he was a preacher of love. Jesus, he was a prophet of peace. Jesus He's a good example for me to follow, for all of us to follow. Now look, Jesus may be all of those things, and indeed Scripture actually points out ways in which he is those things, but Jesus is so much more, and there's something about him that ties all of those things together that makes it important to hear what Paul is saying when he's talking about Jesus, because what is he saying? That Jesus is sent from God as God to reconcile the world to God by his death and resurrection. You see, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is nothing like anything or anyone that the world has ever seen. But Jesus is everything that a world of broken and rebellious and spiritually needy people long for and need. Jesus brings new creation. All right? Jesus brings new creation. So here's the question. This is where the word is beginning to impact you. This is the thing that you need to be turning in your mind as you're thinking about what God is saying to you this morning. How do you regard Jesus? How do you reckon Jesus? Because you see, this is not simply an academic question. This isn't a Time Magazine Easter issue kind of question. But rather, when we ask, how do we regard Jesus? We have to understand that in the Christian faith, for you to understand yourself, to understand who you are, you have to believe and understand that your life is rooted in knowing God as he has revealed himself in Christ. So this question, how do you consider Jesus, is something that is deeply personal, deeply applicable, and if I can even use this word, deeply existential. Because you see, if Jesus, Jesus Christ, is just another character in the story of religion, if we see him as just another moral reformer, if we see him as just another giver of experiences, spiritual and otherwise, then what's going to happen? Well, at least one of two possible things could happen. We'll either use him up 
till we get what we want, and then we will move on to another source that will give us the experience that we're looking for, or we're going to feel used up because we will never measure up to the kind of morality that Jesus calls for, and then we will be burned out and we will quit. But you see, none of those are on the table for Paul as he's talking to this congregation and as he's talking to this congregation. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. He is more than simply a moralist. He is more than simply a source of spiritual enthusiasm. Where does it cash out for Paul? Where does it cash out for us? He's saying about Jesus that he was sent to reconcile us to God. He has brought in a new situation. Look at verse 21. He who knew no sin... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Something radical has happened on the part of God in the person of Jesus that affects all of us and that everyone has to make a decision about. You see, Christ took our place as sinful, rebellious, moralistic, idolatrous and gave himself as a ransom for our sin. And he did this freely. He did this fully. He paid the debt of our sin, a debt that we couldn't pay on our own. And in return, what does he do? He gives us peace. And amazingly, it says that he became sin for us and we are made the righteousness of God. We are made new. He has utterly and totally transformed us. Jesus has turned the world upside down. Or he's actually turned it right side up. And so as we receive Christ, as we trust in him, as we look to him, he changes us as well. So what's Paul saying? So as we don't regard Christ according to the flesh, in other words, according to the way of the world, the way, uh, the way that people look at religious figures, in the same way, because Christians, because you as a Christian are vitally united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit We don't consider ourselves and we don't consider other Christians in the flesh as the same old person. They are new creation. Look at verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, what? They are new creation. So if you are in Christ this morning, you are new creation. You are a part of God's kingdom, his realm of grace and mercy and holiness, you are made new. It's not simply the same old thing, the same old traps, the same old past, the same old habits that define you and shape you and imprison you. New creation. Now look, this is, this is something that's pretty phenomenal when we think about how Paul, what the Apostle Paul is doing. Because you see, in Paul's theology, as he's breaking it down here in 2 Corinthians 5, the work of God in reconciling us to himself is as epical, mind-blowing as creation itself. The original creation itself. Think about that. Because so, so many times we just get vexed and get you know get our minds wrapped around the axle or get whatever wrapped around the axle and talking about creation in Genesis 1 
But what Paul, the way Paul wants to apply it and think about it is radical. And it has something to do with how we live our life. And in making us new creation, new, cre- new creatures, there are actually echoes of the creation of the cosmos, all right? And it shapes and it gives shape to how we think about being Christians and living the Christian life, all right? We've already heard Genesis chapter 1 read for us. And what does it say? How do things start out? Well, in the beginning, there's God and nothing else. And what does God do? He creates. And then how did he create? Well, it said that the original creation was without form and void and that there was darkness over the deeps, right? Darkness over the face of the creation. So when God originally created the cosmos, the world was what? Let me throw a little Hebrew at you, all right? Because that's what you came to hear is a little Hebrew. Tohu, the world was without form. And here's a second one, and this one's free. Bohu, it was unfilled. Without form and unfilled. That's how, God, that's how creation was when it started. Now think about this, because now we're narrowing our sights down on our life as we stand before God as well. Scripture says also about us that before we were in Christ spiritually and religiously, We were also what? We were in the dark. We were also without form. And we were not filled when it came to our relationship with God. But now, but now in Christ, you are new. You are not the same person you were before you came to Christ. You are not defined by your past sins, by what people have thought of you, by your past habits, by your labels, by the things that you don't think you can escape from. God is now forming you and filling you as new creation. How is it that he gives us shape as Christians? How is it that he forms us as new creation? Several different ways. Colossians chapter 3 says that we are being formed, what? After the image of Jesus Christ. After the image of our creator himself. You are being poured into the mold of Jesus. That doesn't mean he's making a bunch of stormtroopers or robots or something like that. But uniquely, you are being shaped as the person that God made you to be after the image of Jesus Christ. How else does he form us? How else does he form you? He forms you by the commands of God, by the very word of God. You see, the promise of the new covenant, what we celebrate, what we're we're about to celebrate here in this meal, is what? That the law of God would be where? Written on our hearts. He has brought what stood outside of us and which seemed to hang over us and condemn us and was far away, he has brought it near. He has now made it a part of our spiritual DNA. He has given us this ability to love and to delight and even obey his law because he has made it a part of who we are. It is a part of us. And he also forms us by the people of God. This is why Paul later on in Colossians 3 can, can exhort uh, that church there not to lie to one another. Why? Because they have put off the old self. They have left old creation in its spiritual deadness, in manipulation and having to live according to lies just to kind of get by. And instead, you have put on the new self in all of its practices. So even the way that we relate to one another helps shape us and mold us after God's word and after God's image. But see, he doesn't finish his work in just forming us, does he? He also fills us because we are new creation. What are we filled with? 
Well, there's a lot of things we could say, right? But first off, we have to say is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And by that Holy Spirit, we are filled now with a new capacity. Capacities that we did not have before we were in Christ. Capacity to love God. To love our neighbor. A capacity for joy and patience and kindness. To forgive freely from our heart. To seek forgiveness from others. And filled with a capacity to trust God. And to lose this angle which seems so natural to us. Of always negotiating and making decisions based purely on self-interest. You are a new creation. Or if I can put it like this, you are not that Japanese soldier stuck on the Philippine Islands fighting an old war. The war is over and you have been brought to God's side. And you have been made a member of that army. You've been brought into that family with all the blessings, all the hope and capacities that you need for this life. Now look, some of us here this morning need to believe this. Or maybe you need to believe it again. Because sadly, it can be the case that as Christians, we can get very comfortable of having this split theology, this split understanding of how God works in our life, of what God has done. And so we can get comfortable believing, well, sure, I'm forgiven. I understand that God has made this legal declaration. He has forgiven me because of what Jesus has done. But, man, I am not that different. I'm still the same old person. I'm kind of just like I was in high school or college or fill in the blank of whatever age that you refer back to. And you you think, you know, I'm never going to change. I probably won't change much. I'm just going to have to grind it out. And look, sometimes uh, we can feel like that because that is just the grind of the Christian life. Let's just be honest about that. Sometimes we can just feel like we're in a rut. We can feel like we are stuck. But as we hear and respond to the gospel, we will not stay there. That is not the end of our story. But, and maybe you're in this situation, to doubt that there is new life, to doubt that you're a new person that God has made as the Bible has described is a form of deceit, self-deceit. And you see, this kind of self-deceit might actually have an agenda Uh, This self-deceit of denying that God can or will do anything transformative in your life, that he hasn't made you new creation, it might just be a way for you to excuse a secret sin or a favorite sin that you don't want to let go of. Maybe it's something like, you know, I just cannot forgive her. I just just cannot. You, you, You don't understand what she did to me. And yet you just savor and delight in in holding that against them. It's a kind of leverage, a kind of power that you exert against them. You like to think of yourself as the victim instead of as being forgiven by God and free to forgive others. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some kind of a temptation or indulgence. Maybe it's carrot cake. Man, that's something that weighs on me. Maybe it's something like a little bit more pernicious like gossip or sexual temptation that you just want to give into. But it's a way of letting yourself off the hook by not believing what God has said is so. Letting you enjoy or savor some sin instead of seeing the rottenness, the decrepitness, the corrosiveness, the very worminess of that sin that eats you up. 
from the inside out. You are new creation if you are in Christ. You are free from the claim of sin on your life. You are free from that bondage. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is who you are. The situation has changed. You are now called to live by faith, not by sight. And one of the things that you can embrace by faith is what we have just heard this morning from 2 Corinthians 5. Believe that God has done good for you. You know, the Puritan John Owen said this, that the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. Friends, God has loved you. He has showed it. He he has displayed it in the gift of His Son. And His desire is to bring you in, to fold you into His family and make you His righteousness. Believe that today and live free in light of what God has done and is doing by His Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful God, without your help, these words will be like clanging gongs, crashing cymbals, white noise. But with your help, it's greater than bringing all things together out of nothing by the word of your power. Because there you were just working with good stuff. With us, you were having to cut against the grain of those who are not inclined to love you, to seek you, to be formed and filled by your holiness and grace. And yet, done that you have in Jesus. And I pray that you would lift the burden moralism, of spiritual, ungodly spiritual experiences off of us. Instead, let us find freedom in the new work you have done in Jesus for us. And it's in his great name we pray and for his sake. Amen.